I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. In today's podcast, we speak with Paul Finger and Shantan Reddy about PET-CT and choroidal melanoma. There are many lesions that were picked up that would not have been seen. If you have one extrahepatic lesion, it's worth knowing about. First this. What could be better than listening to world leaders in ophthalmology talking about important clinical issues using the on-demand power of podcasting? How about getting CME credit for it? I am psyched to tell you that you will soon be able to get continuing medical education credit for doing just what you're doing now. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians is about to become the first podcast to offer its listeners CME. I'll have more to say about CME at the end of this podcast. As seen from here, all the quality of a national meeting every week on your MP3 player. By the way, now would be a great time to subscribe. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. The presence and location of metastases of choroidal melanoma greatly influences therapeutic management of this disease, but current methods of surveillance fail to detect many of these metastases. My guests today, Paul Finger and Shantan Reddy, employ a technology used in the surveillance of other tumors, PET-CT. Since many of us have only a vague recollection that PET scans have something to do with metabolic activity, I asked Dr. Reddy to describe the technology. PET scan is positron emission tomography, and it utilizes FDG, which is fluorodeoxyglucose. We inject it into the bloodstream, and then it accumulates in cells, and then the PET scan, the positron emission tomography, allows it to detect cells that are high rates of metabolism, thus describing their physiologic function. And basically it allows us to tell which cells are highly active, like cancerous cells, which cells are not. What are you looking at are uh, things like relative metabolic rate? I mean, is Yeah, we're looking at relative metabolic activity. And where areas that have high rates of metabolic activity, we would consider them cancerous. If they have above a certain quantitative level, we described as 2.5 SUV or standard uptake value. Uh, other uh, factors that may play a role are uh, blood flow. Uh, if a lesion has poor blood flow, it might not pick up the uh, glucose to go to those cells. There are some confounding issues because if there are tissues that have higher than normal metabolism, they will pick it up as well, and not just malignant cells. What we're talking about are things like inflammatory lesions, can like arthritis. Can and for example, if you walked up the stairs right before you had your PET scan, it could uh, affect the uptake in your leg muscles. And so oftentimes patients are, are kept still for some period of time before the study exam, uh, is started. Can, can you tell me how the resolution of PET scans compares with the resolution of CT? Yeah, our, the resolution of our PET scans was 4 millimeters. 
And I think the resolution of our helical CT scanner, we had a slice thickness of 3.3 or 3.27 millimeters. I think that's where the resolution lies in there. The technology that we're going to be talking about today is, is PET-CT. Can you tell me what, what that is and, and, yeah. and how it works? PET-CT is a fusion of a CT scan and a PET scan. First, the patient undergoes a CT scan of the area, which allows a better anatomic localization. And then from this CT scan, an image is created. The image is then formatted and then fed into the PET scan. And then the patient is injected with uh, the FDG, fluorodeoxyglucose. And then with the CT scan, it allows the PET scan to attenuate it according to the CT scan. And then it's fed into a computer and it fuses these two images. So you get a CT scan. You allow the PET scan to be attenuated with the CT scan, and then it fuses these two images to produce one final image. What do you mean by, by attenuated? This i got to defer to Dr. Finger, but... The information that's provided by the CAT scan allows the PET scan to be more efficient in picking up areas that are hypermetabolic, and it decreases the time that the PET scan, that's required to do the PET scan, and it uh, increases the efficiency. But what the, the anatomic image of the CT overlaid with the physiologic image of the PET gives form from the CT and function from the PET on the same diagnostic page. So you may be able to see an abnormality with CT, but you can see if that abnormality is hypermetabolic with the PET aspect of the, of the PET CT. If the resolution for the PET scan is comparable to the resolution of the CT scan, why don't we just use PET scan then to detect hypermetabolic lesions? I can understand what the, the advantage is of the PET scan generally, because it, it shows you what is going on metabolically. What's the advantage of combining them over just doing the uh, PET scan? I think you're, you're, you're thinking along the lines of, of uh, a radiographic image when you're thinking about resolution with PET. What they mean by resolution with PET is that a lesion would most likely have to be approximately four millimeters to, to light up with the physiologic tracer. But it doesn't give you an image like you would be accustomed to with a CAT scan. The CAT scan shows you the anatomical structures, and the PET scan it largely does not. What is PET-CT used for currently? It's approved for uh, staging of melanomas and lymphomas and several other less common cancers. Head and neck cancers, colorectal cancers, and as Dr. Finger said, um, skin melanomas and lymphomas. It's mostly used for things like cancer staging or specifically for looking for metastatic lesions? It's approved for staging, but currently uh, for melanoma, which is our primary focus, uh, one is to have other laboratory evaluations that suggest metastatic disease prior to performing the PET-CT. That is not saying that initial staging is not correct. It's just that it is a, uh, a Medicare rule that patients should have some test in follow-up uh, that suggests metastatic disease prior to considering PET-CT. Paul, can I have you describe the study's design? Having a choroidal melanoma is a risk factor for metastatic melanoma. Therefore, we felt it was reasonable to evaluate patients with PET-CT to see if uh, the resolution of PET-CT was better than standard treatment 
or standard diagnostic modalities to detect metastatic disease. Should we detect metastatic disease, we would save the patient a local surgery uh, and also allow for earlier treatment of their metastatic disease. The study enrolled uh, 52 patients. Our protocol was to uh, have the patient have a physical examination, uh, blood test including liver function studies and a CBC, a chest x-ray, and total body PET-CT. Paul, you're a Combs study center here. What is the follow-up that's required by Combs? For approximately 16 years, I was one of the principal investigators of the collaborative ocular melanoma study. That study uh, investigated the treatment of small, medium, and large choroidal melanomas and uh, was an excellent work of uh, evidence-based medicine. Part of that study was to evaluate patients prior to treatment. Typically, we would have patients undergo a physical examination looking for cutaneous and subcutaneous nodularity, as well as organomegaly, primarily hepatomegaly, because uveal melanomas have a preferential distribution to the liver as initial site of, of diagnosis for metastatic disease. Patients also underwent um, abdominal imaging, but this was elective and typically based on abnormal liver function studies. These examinations were done periodically uh, within the framework of the study. The Combs protocol was quite similar to that of this study with the exception of uh, the PET-CT. Um, the, in, in terms of practicality, uh, the Combs protocol did not physiologically evaluate any portion of the body uh, with PET and also would not pick up sites such as uh, breast, brain, and some bony metastasis that could be imaged with PET-CT. Paul, can you describe the patients who were imaged as part of this study? We did not uh, exclude patients from imaging in, this, in the study. Uh, we studied patients with small, COMS small or AJCC type T1 tumors, um, AJCC type T2 tumors or medium-sized melanomas as well as large melanomas. Um, the actual distribution included um, patients with a median age of 64 years. Uh, there were 16 T1s, uh, 28 T2s, and 8 T3 tumors. Paul, can I get you to describe the size classification system? Well, the, the American Joint Committee for Cancer, along with the European uh, Union uh, Against Cancer, came together two years ago to publish the sixth edition of... Uh, a TNM, uh, tumor node metastasis grading system for uh, eye cancers, including uveal melanoma. The size categories were quite similar to that of C the COMS, the Collaborative Ocular Melanoma Study, except that the COMS study um, excluded certain tumors from eligibility, which were covered by the uh, AJCC TNM classifications. In order to make the, this study um, comparable to other studies in the future, we chose to use both grading systems uh, so that patient, uh, other investigators could compare their work to ours. Shantan, what were your findings? Of the 52 patients that were screened for metastases, two patients were found to have positive metastases. Of these two patients, both patients had metastases to the liver, 
50% of these patients are one patient have metastases to the bone. Paul, would the metastatic lesions that you detected using PET-CT have been missed by the COMBS protocol? Well, in our particular study, uh, neither of the patients that were found to have metastatic disease had elevated liver function studies. And therefore, they may have been missed with the standard COMS protocol. This goes along with the recent findings of the COMS that found that liver function studies as an indicator is quite sensitive, quite specific, but not, quite, not very sensitive uh, for detecting metastatic disease. But beyond that, the, the real global uh, importance of total body scanning, uh, which wasn't done uh, with any previous protocol, uh, is, is really the, the most important finding, uh, in my opinion, because now instead of just looking at the liver, we're looking at the whole body, including the bones, the brain, the subcutaneous tissue, uh, the lungs, and uh, visceral organs. And so instead of finding just hepatic disease, we're looking at the whole, pa the whole patient. Besides the metastatic melanomas, what were some of the other lesions that were found in the course of your follow-up? Interestingly, uh, we found arthritides and infections. There have been several patients, uh, not just with this study, but since the study, that have been found to have pneumonia. We've picked up uh, synchronous tumors, uh, lung cancers, breast cancers that were not melanoma-related, but uh, too small to be found with uh, standard CT or, uh, or uh, mammography. Is it possible on PET-CT to distinguish a metastatic lesion from some other hypermetabolic area? Oftentimes the CT portion of the PET-CT will give you an indication of whether it's an arthritity uh, or an inflammatory process. Several of the um, pneumonias have been cured with antibiotics, which has found to extinguish the PET portion of the PET-CT. Uh, other lesions uh, in the thyroid and other organs have been sampled by fine needle aspiration biopsy and found to be either malignant or benign. Their colon uh, lesions have been investigated with colonoscopy. But when we find uh, hepatic lesions or osseous lesions that are amenable to fine needle aspiration biopsy, they are proven by, to be uh, either melanoma or some other process by fine needle aspiration biopsy. Shantan, you and Paul have demonstrated that PET-CT can locate distant metastatic lesions, but you also studied the role of PET-CT in primary tumors. Can I get you to describe that study? So what we wanted to do is we wanted to evaluate the efficacy of PET-CT in detecting primary choroidal melanomas. So we enrolled 50 patients with uveal melanomas, and then we put them through, again, the chest x-ray, liver scans, and then a PET-CT, specifically to the orbits to see if it could detect these tumors. And what we found was, as Dr. Finger classified the different types of tumors, 0% of T1 or small choroidal melanomas described by the COM study were detected by PET-CT imaging. 33% of T2-sized choroidal melanomas or medium-sized choroidal melanomas were detected. And 75% of the larger T3 tumors or large choroidal melanomas were detected by PET-CT imaging. So we found that even though it can detect physically active tumors, such as the large choroidal melanomas, it was in no value of detecting the small choroidal melanomas.
Paul, does this mean that, that this technology can be used to uh, size tumors? Not directly, not like ophthalmoscopy and, and ultrasonography, and um, it is not capable of that type of resolution. But what it can tell you is whether the lesion is physiologically active. And um, as you'll, we found, not all mediums or larges were physiologically active by uh, PET CT criteria. And it will also allow us to follow patients after treatment to see whether uh, they become less or non-physiologically active after they've been destroyed. Did the findings of this study mean that this technology would not detect METs that are on the same size scale as a, as a T1 tumor? Hmm, that's a good question. We don't know that the answer to your question, but it would be reasonable to assume that there has to be a certain size tumor to be uh, imaged by this modality, and that's yet to be determined. Paul, you conducted a third study of PET-CT for choroidal melanoma. Can I get you to describe that one? In contrast to the other studies, these patients all had been treated in the past, and uh, they were evaluated by PET-CT um, because they had other lab values or, or signs uh, that were suspicious of metastatic melanoma. What we found was that despite current feeling that uh, most of the tumors would be confined to the liver, in actuality there were many foci of metastatic disease outside the liver. That is important because many of the treatment modalities are liver-based. And if patients have metastatic disease outside the liver, they may not be candidates for, say, hepatic resection or chemoembolization or perfusions of the liver. They need to have a more systemic treatment. What were the locations of the metastatic lesions you detected by PET-CT? All of them had metastatic disease to the liver. Uh, two had metastatic disease to the lung. Four had osseous metastasis. Three had lymph node metastasis. So obviously, uh, and there are other sites as well, obviously that um, if one looks at the entire body, I think one can find many more sites of metastasis than uh, just in the liver. Were these eight patients to have been followed by the standard Combs protocol, how would their subsequent therapeutic management have differed from the management that resulted from this study? Patients who have extrahepatic metastasis are typically offered systemic chemotherapy as opposed to hepatic treatments alone. Not to say that hepatic treatments alone might not be palliative and extend their lives, but in general, treatments such as hepatic resection, which involve a surgery and a recuperation, and uh, chemoperfusion might be um, might less likely be employed as compared to a systemic chemotherapy. Paul, would the standard methods of surveillance have detected these metastatic lesions? They were not. They would not. Many of the lesions would uh, would not likely have been picked up. I mean, if you're looking at a physical examination, a chest x-ray, an abdominal imaging study. <clears throat> it would pick up most of those lesions, but there are many lesions that were picked up that would not have been seen. And um, if you have one extrahepatic lesion, it's worth knowing about. So, for example, in, our, in those eight patients, only one of the eight patients had abnormal LFTs. 
and the patient who had a metastasis to the lung actually had a normal red chest x-ray. So those patients would have been missed if we were just going through the normal screening methods. Paul, have the results of these studies changed the way that you practice? Currently uh, at the New York Eye Cancer Center, we uh, perform PET-CT as initial staging for all patients uh, to be treated for choroidal melanoma. And uh, for uh, staging when patients have other exams that are suspicious for um, metastatic disease. Uh, this was not done before the study. Currently, uh, in my opinion, it is the most exhaustive radiographic uh, test that can be performed for patients, and therefore it's uh, become uh, a standard in our center. It's important to put these studies in the perspective of a phase one trial. What, we, what needs to be done is a prospective uh, comparative trial to prove statistically whether or not other forms of surveillance could be equal to or better than um, PET-CT. It is our impression that PET-CT is better than blood tests, chest x-ray, physical examination, and abdominal imaging study alone. In order to prove that, uh, one should perform a prospective randomized trial. Oftentimes people wonder about the economics of, of PET-CT. A uh, typical PET-CT can cost as much as $4,000 U.S. dollars, and this is quite expensive compared to other testing. On the other hand, uh, if one can avoid an abdominal surgery or even multiple uh, immune, uh, embolizations of the, of the liver, uh, it is rather small cost. Uh, so it's definitely a complex issue. Uh, that warrants further study as well. Paul Finger is clinical professor of ophthalmology at the New York University School of Medicine and director of ophthalmic oncology at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary and the New York Eye Cancer Center. Shantan Reddy is a resident at the New York University Department of Ophthalmology. Their work on PET-CT and choroidal melanomas is in press. Now more about CME. As seen from here is going to roll out its CME project in phases. Initially, you will need to print out CME quizzes and mail them in for grading. Then, a few months later, we plan to go to an all-electronic format in which you'll be able to take the quiz and print out your CME certificate right online. Each As Seen From Here program will get you one half hour of CME credit. The quizzes and certificates will cover blocks of four programs for a total of two credit hours. You can download any programs you've missed by going to asseenfromhere.com and clicking on the Programs button. As seen from here, all the quality of a national meeting every week on your MP3 player. Ask questions of Dr. Finger, Dr. Reddy, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.